Today, we will continue our series in the book of Romans. We'll be reading Romans 16, 1 through 23. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was, who was the first convert in, to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Trivosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philagalus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will, so, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greet you. Yeah, that does deserve, that deserves a round of applause. Guys, I'm not even going to read all the names on the list today. That was, that was impressive. Um, okay, hello. My name is Houston. I'm the church planning resident at The Vine. And uh, here, I'm here to talk to you about this list of names and people. And, and you know, right off the bat, what it reminds me of is um, graduation ceremonies. You ever think about, I was talking to somebody the other day, how weird graduation ceremonies are in, in one way. So I, I went to, for my undergrad, I went to a small school in Missouri, and uh, there were probably less than 100 people, and there was definitely less than 100 people graduating. And, and I remember in this ceremony, my last name is Tucker, so I'm like seventh from the last letter in the alphabet. I'm, very, I'm at the very end, Right? And, and the whole process was me sitting there, listening to other names getting called, and uh, waiting for my turn. But, but still, you know, I was so pumped, right? I was pumped for this thing that was happening. Uh, well, more, more accurately, I was terrified. I was mortified of the idea that eventually I would have to get up on stage 
myself and not just get up on stage, but that I would have to like walk across the gym, not knock over a chair, and then wait for the right cue to get up on stage, which there was not a person like signaling. I had to remember the cues, and I had to not trip up the stairs, and I had to not trip on the carpeting, like the rug on the stage, and then I had to do, you know, the, the handshake and the, this thing. You get, like, I have no idea still. Um, and, and all this in front of, you know, all my peers and family and friends, it's, you know, it was, I was a wreck, obviously. And I could happily say, worst thing I did was come up, and stay on the stage at the wrong time and be mortified for a second. But other than that, it was a great, it was a great experience. But still, at different points, even, even through all this turmoil and, and inner trauma, I, I would hear my friends' names as they walked across the stage, hear these people that I loved, came to love, be, be celebrated and congratulated. And really, it became such a joyful memory for me. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's kind of a weird thing, because it, it was just an hour and a half of one guy standing on stage saying people's names, and people walking across. So I can imagine if, if somehow you wandered into this building, if you wandered into the middle of this graduation ceremony, and you had no idea what was happening, you would think this was the most bizarre thing in the world. You'd think that these people are out of their minds, just saying names and walking, grabbing a little leather square, sitting down, they've got these weird hats on, everyone's in robes, like this other guy has got an even weirder hat and robe. And at the very least, you would just be bored, just bored out of your mind, right? But for those of us who know what's happening, and especially if you have a loved one involved here, man, this is an exciting day, right? This is a celebration of somebody, a celebration of what they've accomplished and what they've done. It's a really special moment. And so as we look at our passage today, we get to literally read somebody else's mail here, and we get to see uh, a, a picture. We get to piece together a picture and a story from what Paul has written. And kind of like a graduation ceremony, it can be a weird or maybe boring part of the letter if we don't know who Paul is talking about, or what these people did, or why this even matters, it could be a weird part of the letter. But if we dig in a little bit, and even without getting too lost in the weeds, don't worry, we get a great glimpse of the church in the first century. And man, we get some great wisdom and encouragement for us today. And so I'll admit, at another point in my life, this would have probably been the bummer passage to talk about. And, and maybe it's just because this is what I've been asked to talk about here, but for me, just spending time in this passage has been a really sweet experience. It's been a really joyful picture. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to jump into these pass this passage, really two passages, uh, and we're going to try to get a picture of what Paul is getting at here. And so we're going to see is that even here in this last big section of the letter, Paul is reinforcing what he's been saying all throughout the letter. And we're going to see that he's calling the church in Rome one last time to two things. Or rather, he's calling them to be one thing and not 
another thing. He's calling them to be servants and not separators. Uh, In other words, he's calling the church at Rome to serve, not to separate. So we're going to see today why that was so important for them, and we're going to see how this passage still is so important for us today. So would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word. We thank you that even this, even a list of of names and greetings, Lord, you can do powerful things through, that you can take such simple, such humble writing and use it for your glory, Lord. We thank you that you have given us this, that you've given us the book of Romans, uh, and that you've given us this passage. And we just pray that as we sit under this word today, that we would be encouraged of what it means to be a servant for you, Lord, and not to separate or cause disunity or dissension in the church. We thank you, Lord, for our time together. And I just pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be glorifying to you, God, our Lord and our Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So as you heard earlier, we have a very big passage today. Again, really two passages next to each other. Uh, And what we're going to do is this first part, verses 1 through 16, has a lot of names and a lot of places and a lot of greetings. So I mentioned this earlier, but this is the kind of thing that you can really get lost in. You know, scholars have spent many, many years trying to parse out who all these people are, piece together this picture of who Paul is talking about and why he thought to include them. And so these scholars have found some very, very helpful information. But what I want to do today is really just drill in on what it says right here in the text. See, the Lord had a purpose for the people that were included in this part of the greeting. This is not just a coincidental letter. This is not just a haphazard list of people. There's a purpose for this. So, instead of going through each of the 29 names and giving, say, a bio, a description, and uh, an astrology sign or something, uh, I'm just going to go look at two people. We're going to look at two people mentioned here today, and then we're going to zoom out we're going to see what the big picture is about all this. So, first person I want to talk about is right here in verse 1. It's going to be on the screen, but if you want to pull your Bibles out, we're in Romans 16. We're going to talk about verses 1 and 2. It says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancrae, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way of worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So the first question here is, why is Paul commending Phoebe? So in the first century, we know that in, uh, for letter writing, you know, they don't have the United States Postal Service. And so what they did was they would send letters with people who were traveling or messengers who were specifically sent And especially with letters like this, letters that were written to groups of people, the person bringing the letter would have been expected to read and deliver the letter. So it would have been a a gathering of the church at Rome, or the multiple churches at Rome, and Paul would, or uh, Phoebe would have read this letter that Paul had written 
to the church there. And so Phoebe really is part messenger, part performer for the church at Rome and for the book of Romans. And so that means is that Phoebe was an important part of the letter to the Romans because she was the one who would eventually read it to the Roman Christians. She'd be reading the letter and effectively speaking on behalf of Paul and Timothy and and the whole gang who wrote the letter. And then after she was done, she would need a community of believers to gather around her and support her while she was in Rome, so far from home. And the cool thing I think here is that we, we know from this passage uh, more about Phoebe than just that she was the messenger. We know she's from a place called Cancrei. I literally have that written out phonetically in my notes. Um, there's a lot of doozy words here. And Cancrei was a city in Corinth. It was a smaller town in Corinth. So she's a Corinthian Christian. <coughs> Excuse me. We also know that she was a servant there. Now, some of your Bibles are going to have a footnote, or maybe it just translates this, that she was a deaconess there. So we also know that Phoebe was a patron for many of the saints, including Paul himself. So she supported them financially. So, I mean, we have a lot of information about Phoebe here. She was probably wealthy, a businesswoman. She seemed to have been single or, or at least widowed. She was a deaconess in her hometown. And, she, man, she was trustworthy enough to take this letter halfway across the world and read it to a group of believers. And, man, what a powerful picture of the first century Christian woman traveling the world, serving the church, running a successful business, giving generously. She is doing it all. (coughs) And this is the first thing that I want us to stop and pay attention to here. Phoebe, for all those great things she was doing, was really a normal believer in the church. Now, I don't mean to say that everyone was doing as much as she was. I don't think that's true. Phoebe was out there hustling. What I mean is that she didn't do anything massive in the Bible. She didn't write any books of the Bible. She didn't seem to plant any churches. (coughs) Excuse me. She didn't seem to plant any churches. She doesn't have any epic scenes of being in front of Roman governors. And as far as we know, she wasn't martyred for her faith. So a lot of ways, as impressive as she was... She was an ordinary Christian. She went to work. She served the church. Oh, thank you. She was an ordinary Christian. She served the church. She gave money to the mission of the church. And sometimes she traveled for work and to serve. So, the important thing is this. What does that matter? She didn't write any books of the Bible, and yet she's still mentioned in Scripture. She wasn't living this exciting life that Paul was, and yet still she served faithfully, and she was integral to the kingdom of God. I mean, as far as we know, she wasn't a missionary planting churches around the world, and still, through her work, the gospel has been delivered to people all throughout history. You see what I'm getting at here? Phoebe showed up in ordinary ways, and the Lord used that 
He used her powerfully for his glory and the good of those around her. So the question then, when we look at Phoebe, when we look at her life, is what are the ordinary ways that the Lord can use you? What are the ordinary ways the Lord will use you for his glory and for the good of those around you? If even this person, who, who by all accounts just showed up faithfully, made such a huge impact, man, why can't the Lord use us here today? If you're like me, it can be hard to have that kind of vision for the church. It can be hard for me to see how the Lord uses the little things that I do for, for good, for big things in his kingdom. But this letter, this, this excerpt from a greeting, is a great picture of the incredible things he can do with humble offerings. Now, I picture what you're saying to me now. Houston, Phoebe is this incredible woman who had her whole life together. I get what you're saying. So what I want to do is, let's look at another picture here. If you'll flip to verse 13 with me, we're going to see a very different picture. <coughs> verse 13 says this, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Here Paul says to greet Rufus and his mother. And so Rufus was probably a significant person in the church at the time. And we know this from actually kind of a roundabout way. See, if we go back to Mark 15, 21, this is in the middle of the story of Jesus being crucified. And we see that he was, uh, as he was carrying his cross, the Roman soldiers compel a man named Simon to help him to carry his cross. And Mark pauses the story, and he says, this guy Simon was the dad of Alexander and Rufus. And so based on some good evidence, we're pretty sure that this same Rufus is the one we're talking about here in Romans 13. And so that's cool. This guy Rufus, you know, his dad helped carry Jesus' cross at one point in his journey, and he gets a shout out. It's great. But man, that's not what I'm interested in here. I'm interested in the other person mentioned in this verse, Rufus's mother. See, when you read this list of names, verses 1 through 16, Paul really lavishes on people. He calls people close friends, co-workers, family, his own relatives. But no one else in this whole list of greetings is referenced as lovingly as Rufus's mother is. Paul says that she was like a mother to him. Actually, literally, what he says is the mother of Rufus and me. This woman was so loving and caring for Paul that he considered her like his own mother. And there is no one else mentioned in the whole New Testament that Paul thinks of this way. Friends, this is the second picture I want us to see, where Phoebe was this impressive person, a businesswoman, wealthy, successful, crucially involved in her church, and the carrier of the letter to the Romans. Rufus's mother was a woman 
who just loved Paul well and cared for him. It's a stark contrast between these two women. One is named first in the list, and one is not even named, which is kind of wild when you think about it because everyone else is named here. But man, I, I think that's a feature and not a bug to this. This is a picture of one woman, one woman who was serving quietly and faithfully in the church. And even she was so important to the mission. I mean, think about it. Where would Paul have been without Rufus's mother? Why would Paul have such tender words for her if she didn't care for him at such important parts of his life and important moments? And I don't know what that was. Maybe she cooked the meals. Maybe she brought him into her home. Maybe she kept visiting him in prison just to make sure that he was okay, had clothes to wear, knew that someone was in his corner. I don't know. What I'm saying is the picture is that she just showed up and loved him. And man, that is captured and mentioned in the scriptures. So some of you are parents. You know what it's like to have little children. You know what it's like to kiss a bruise and and cradle them, just comfort them, say everything's going to be okay. That's the picture here. That's the picture of Rufus's mother and Paul. What I, I want you to catch today is that she's not called out because she was Paul's mother. She was called out because she cared for him like she was. So friends, whether you have children or not, the call is clear. The picture is clear. We all have this opportunity to serve in, the way, in this way in the church. This is not a job only for the people who are parents of children. This is a job for all who worship together. And there are a lot of people in this church right here who just need somebody to come alongside them, need somebody to sit with them, to, to cry with them, someone to make a meal, someone to just say, hey, I'm in your corner. Because because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we know we are united with him in one body. Because of the Holy Spirit living within us, we know that we're connected to each other. And then because the Father has adopted us as his children, we know that we are all one family together. And this is the picture I want us to see from the passage in Romans. See, when we, we zoom out, we see a really cool list. We see men and women, single, married. We see people who from, were from all over the world, people who had impressive jobs, people who did not. <coughs> people who were literal relatives of Paul, and then people like this who took Paul in and treated him like family, even though he wasn't blood. But the thing we should see in all of this, when we zoom out, is that all of these people are servants. This is a picture of servanthood in the church. Paul is shouting out these people because they served. They're people who work to build up the kingdom of God. People who come together and serve. And people who, when they heard the gospel, 
they heard what Jesus said. And he said that even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And they got to work. What we have to see is that none of the people on this list are said to have performed miracles here. We don't know if any of them planted churches, brought thousands of people to Christ. We don't know if they died as martyrs. We don't, we don't know. The only thing we know is they showed up in faith to serve. And that they responded to the call of the Lord in the small things in their lives. And so again, what are the small things that the Lord is calling us to today? See, they were called servants, and that's why they're praised. But it's important that we see that that's not, also, that's not the end of the whole book. <clears throat> it doesn't just end there. In fact, Paul kind of takes a turn here at the end. He goes from the positive to the negative. In verses 17 through 18, he says this, <clears throat> I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrines that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So where the previous passage was a laundry list of praiseworthy people, this passage is a warning against a different kind of person. Paul wants to warn the Christians at Rome that there are people coming who will cause division and put obstacles in front of other believers. And so the idea of what he's saying here, the idea is that there are people coming who, instead of serving and loving, like this picture we saw in the first passage, instead of building up the body, they're going to be part of tearing it down. So Paul gives a few markers to watch out for. He says these people will cause divisions. So instead of bringing people together, they will tear people apart. Or maybe they'll just push people away. Or maybe they'll just be people who naturally make rifts in the church. The second thing we see is they will create obstacles contrary to the doctrines of the Bible. And this is a strange phrase, one that I think we don't really use today, but it's this idea. It's the idea of adding things to the Christian life they're not meant to be a part of it. And there are all kinds of examples of this. In the first century, and probably this is who Paul was warning about more specifically, there were people who were Jewish believers who thought that all Christians, whether you were Jewish or not, needed to keep the whole Old Testament law. They said that to be saved, you need to have Jesus plus the law. And the early church, the apostles, they said, no, this is not what Jesus said. This is not what Jesus wanted. But they kept insisting anyways. And so today, I don't think that's what we deal with. That's not what we face. I think the things we face are very different. Today, it could look like someone saying that in order to be saved, you need to believe in Jesus and be a good person. Or maybe you're not supposed to have any tattoos or piercings. Or, or maybe you can't listen to a certain kind of music. 
<clears throat> you know, there are some options that maybe we think are a little sillier now. But I think that sometimes that idea of in order to be saved, you need to believe in Jesus and be a good person can kind of creep into the way I think. So we have to be careful of anything that adds to the Bible, anything that adds to Jesus and the apostles' teachings. Because sometimes, like I said, it's going to sound reasonable. It's going to kind of make sense. You know, Paul says that they uh, are smooth talkers, and they have flattery, and they're deceptive. See, even that idea of to be saved, you have to believe in Jesus and be a good person. Man, Jesus called us to obedience. That's a part of the Bible. But to say that that's one of the requirements of salvation is to add to the gospel. <clears throat> and that is creating obstacles. That's the important thing that Paul is warning against. Paul says that this is not a way to serve Jesus. In fact, they don't serve Jesus. They don't serve our Lord Christ. They serve their own appetites. So in other words, by, by adding to the gospel, we don't become servants, we become separators. People who push others away from Jesus and cause disunity in the church. And so what's the answer to that? How do we hedge against that? Well, Paul says it right here. In verses 19 through 20, Paul goes on to say this, For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So again, this is another area where we could get lost in the woods, but don't worry, I won't go too deep here. I'm going to keep it brief. See, Paul is saying that even though there's this danger of disunity in the church, the church at Rome is a faithful group of believers. He praises them for their obedience, their obedience to Jesus. And this is almost wild, right? You guys have been in the book of Romans for a little while now, and I'm sure you've gone through the whole, like a lot of pictures of how the church at Rome was kind of messed up, right? Kind of a messy place. But here, Paul rejoices for the obedience of the church. He rejoices over their faithfulness. And not only that, he leans into this. He says that he wants them to be wise to good and innocent to evil. It's a weird phrase, but, but what he's getting at is that he wants them to keep spending time and energy and thinking and processing on how to be good and how to serve and love one another, how to be like this list of people that we saw earlier, people who served and built up and loved. And he wants people to spend so little time on the opposite that it's like they don't even know how to do evil to each other. They don't even know how to hurt and harm each other. And obviously this is a little bit idealistic, but the idea is that what we're, he wants us to focus on and strive towards this picture of servantness, servanthood, and this picture of serving and loving in the church, not this picture of disunity and creating obstacles. And it's then that he hits them with this 
bombshell of a verse. It's, it's this line right here. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So I want to wrap up our time this morning really focusing on, on this. Really driving home this point. See, this, this verse, this line, is a reference. It's a, it's a reference to Genesis 3.15. I'm going to read that for us. It's on the screen too. <clears throat> I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is a promise that God made all the way all the way back at the beginning of time. The promise is that one day he would fix things and that someone would come along and defeat evil for good. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But what's significant is that the way that Jesus did it is is almost backwards to us. See, instead of attacking evil head on, Instead of saying, going to battle with death or sin or Satan, he took a different route. Jesus took a route of service and sacrifice. So instead of a scene of of cosmic war, Jesus raining down fire from heaven and, and defeating Satan and evil and death, instead... He gave up his own life, and he let those things overcome him. And it was through this that he did defeat death and destruction and Satan and evil. And it was through his life, death, and resurrection that we are united to him and can have forgiveness and healing. And so when Paul says here that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet, if we don't know the full story, this seems like a backwards line, right? The the God of peace will crush Satan, and he's using our feet? But friends, again, that's, that's the point. Like earlier, the Lord is going to use ordinary people to accomplish his mission, He's going to deliver this final death blow, not through some great cosmic battle, but through peace and service. The Lord of peace will crush Satan, not the Lord of war, not the Lord of judgment, the Lord of peace. What a wild picture to see here. And so what Paul wants to bring our attention back to is it is precisely through peace and service It's precisely through loving and serving one another that the Lord is going to crush Satan beneath our feet. And that, friends, that is what we're being called to today. So wherever you're at in your faith journey, wherever you're at, however long you've been following Jesus, I think the call in this passage is is the same. It is the simple and ordinary faithfulness. And I don't know what those areas might be for you. I don't know what your gifts are or or what the needs are necessarily, but I know that somebody does. 
And you can reach out to an elder or reach out to Nate. Reach out to your city group leader. Just figure out how you can plug in and serve. But what I want us to see is that you don't have to be doing these big, incredible things. We need people to go to other countries, to go to the 1040 window and preach the gospel. But we also need every believer to just be showing up in the little, small, faithful things in their lives and loving those around them. Because the truth is that we don't have to be the ones doing these big things. In fact, we're not the ones doing these big things. The Lord is. He's the God who, like the passage in the Gospels, took the five loaves and the two fish and fed thousands and thousands of people. And I promise you, he can do incredible things with your gifting. See, he's not asking you to have enough money. He's not asking you to have enough time. He's not asking you to have enough abilities, enough service, enough anything. He's not asking you to have enough anything because he has enough. The only thing he's asking of us today is just to show up in these little things and be faithful. So let's do that. Let's show up in faith. Would you pray for me? Lord, as we just reflect on this passage today, as we see the ways that you have just done incredible and powerful things through the small gifts and the small offerings made to you, Lord, I pray that we could be people who do that. I pray that we could not lose sight of this picture that it is not about what we bring, but about what you do with it. Lord, you are not lacking for ability or resources or time or desire, but still you choose to involve us in the process, and I thank you for that, Lord. And so I just pray that as we go from here, we could be people who just reflect Jesus, reflect the Son of Man who who said that even he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I pray that we could be people who reflect that life of Jesus and that we go out from here and that we serve and love those around us, Lord. We pray that at the end of the day that we would not be the ones who are remembered, but that you will be, that you will receive the glory from this. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.